Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, good morning. Hey, you know, this summer in preparation for this series that we're doing, uh, uh, the assignment, we had the opportunity just to interview some people in our church that have come uh, recently over the years. God's just meeting them in a powerful way. And so you're just going to hear their stories as we go throughout the series from week to week as it kind of fits in the topic uh, that, it, that it is today, today where a topic later on is going to be, what does it look like to be a person who is drawing other people to Christ, kind of the, the kind of uh, character qualities that whatever, and so it's kind of a, a good lead-in for that. But if you're here for the very first time, I want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at, at Church of Rocky Peak, and uh, every week God's bringing us new people. If you're one of those new people, we are uh, thankful for you. We're glad you're here. We hope that you just experience Christ and His power uh, today in, in a very significant way in your, your life. But we're going to be going into our time of teaching right now. And so inside of your program is a, a message note sheet we use every week for our, our time of teaching. So I encourage you to take that out if you would. And then uh, we're going to jump in if you guys are all set and ready to go. You guys ready to go? Yeah. All right, let's pray. God, we're just uh, so thankful for what you're doing here and, and this movement that you're unleashing. God, we're thankful for this assignment that you're making clear uh, to, to share the message of Jesus with those who, who don't know, uh, to create space for, for, for them when they come. Uh, we're excited as we go into this today, as we can take this next step, we talk about the kind of person that we need to become that can really be a person that's a bridge person to help people come to you. And so we pray that you, you'd be with us, be with me, my voice, uh, uh, strengthen us as a church to hear what your spirit would say. Help this to be just a message very personal, uh, very intimate, a very uh, transforming, something from your Holy Spirit to each of us personally, according to our, our need. We pray it in your name. Amen. Well, our story starts today about 10 years ago. I was, uh, Lynn and I were still at, at his church in North San Diego County, where we'd been for about 20 years at, at the time. And over the years, God had blessed us. started this very small little church. We, we had blessed. We'd grown quite large. Uh, God had brought people to, to Christ. And, uh, and so on this particular weekend, it was, it was a big weekend for us. We, uh, we were going to get all of our leaders together uh, of our church for some leadership training, development, invest in them. We were bringing in kind of a, a big name, nationally known uh, speaker to, to speak for this weekend. It would be a Friday night, Saturday morning uh, type event. And, and so we had too many leaders to, to kind of cram into our, our main worship center. Uh, so we, we, we had, I think it was like 700,000 leaders, something like that. So we, we, we rented out a, an auditorium about 15 minutes away uh, over in Carlsbad. There's a larger uh, auditorium. And, uh, and so the big night came, and people started coming, and you can just imagine the vibe. All the leaders of the church there, we're going to do worship together, we're going to hear some great teaching. It was just a fantastic weekend. But uh, I'll never forget when the speaker got up to, to speak, and I, honestly, I can't remember if it was the very first message he gave, the second one, but, but I remember he asked this, this compelling question. This, this question, that just the moment he, he asked the question, I, I wrote it down. Uh, I, I didn't want to forget it. In fact, it was so profound and so powerful that years later, when God called us here to Rocky Peak over seven years ago, that, that I typed this question out. It's in my wallet to this very day. Like if you were to open up my wallet, the place where you often, you see in the middle, that clear, that clear section where it's got the, you put the driver's license. I've got this question there because I wanted it to guide me as I stepped into a leadership role here at Rocky Peak. It's, it's, it's a powerful question. It's a simple question. It's a profound question. It is a question that has the power to change your life. Well, today... <laughs> We are continuing uh, our series we started just last week in, in the assignment, Unleashing the Movement. And, and for those of you who are brand new, not only want to welcome you, but I always like to take just a minute or two at the top and kind of bring you up to speed. So let's talk about what this series is about. Uh, this, this series is based on some teaching of Jesus. It's actually the last words of Jesus that he gave to us as his followers, as his movement, uh, be, before he left to return back to his Father in heaven. And, and the, the passage, the key passage is in Matthew 28, it's a famous passage where Jesus says to the leaders, he, he gives an assignment, and he says, I want you to go into to all the world, uh, I want you to share the, the message of, of me and my, my movement. I want you to invite people to follow me, to become followers. And then, and then when they make that decision to follow, I want you to baptize them. It's kind of the first step into the movement of Jesus. And he said, then after they've been initiated in, I want you to teach them. Here was his quote, teach them to obey everything that I've taught you. I want to teach them how to follow as I, I've taught you how to follow. And, and so this whole series is, is based on this assignment. As I shared last week, uh, th this assignment kind of has two streams for us here at Rocky Peak. 
Uh, on the one hand, we're going to be talking about what does it look like to be a church? What does it look like to be people who are really following Jesus, carrying out this assignment, growing in our, in our hunger and our passion for the lost, for people who don't know, know Christ? What does it look like to join him in his uh, mission, which Jesus said last week in Luke 19, was to seek and to save the lost? And that's the first stream, first, first part of this assignment. And then the second part of the assignment that we'll go into in a few weeks is, is uh, has to do with our uh, specific assignment here for us at Rocky Peak. What does it look like to refresh, enlarge our capacity, our campus here as a church so we have room for the people that God's already bringing and that he will continue to bring as we be more intentional about carrying out this assignment of, of reaching uh, lost people. And so today we're going to be continuing on in that series, and I want to start with this question that we started uh, the day with, this story we started the day with. So let's, let's go back in time, and uh, let's, let's go back uh, about 10 years ago. And this weekend, uh, we, we, had, we were bringing in a big-name speaker. A lot of you have heard of John Ortberg. You may have heard of him. Uh, he's, he's written a lot of great books. He's, he's an excellent uh, speaker. And we had brought him in for a weekend of teaching with our, with our leaders, and so I'll never forget, you know, he gets up and he, he asks this, this question that just so deeply moved me into this day, carry it in my wallet. And uh, before I tell you uh, what the question is, uh, I want to tell you why I'm asking this question today. I think that what happens when we, we start talking about how to be more effective in, in reaching people for Christ, how to, how to share the good news of Jesus with people, how, how to bring them to faith, that often the first kinds of questions that come to our mind have to do with what we should say. Okay, so, so the moment we start talking about, about sharing Christ, we start thinking well, with questions like this, like, well, what should I say? Uh, uh, how do I answer their questions? Uh, 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 how fast should I say it? When should I say it? To whom should I, I say it? There are all these questions about what we should say. But what I'm suggesting today is that there's a, a more important question that, than what we should, what we should say. And, and, and this is the most important question if we're going to reach people for Christ. And so in this series, we're going to talk about how to build relationships with non-believers. We're going to talk about uh, how to answer questions. We're going to talk about how to have those conversations, how to share your story, how to share God's. We'll be talking about all that in due time. But what I want to say today is that this, this question that I'm laying out today is the most important question. And if we don't answer this question well, honestly, it doesn't even matter what we say. So, so here's the questions. There are your note sheet. There's some blanks for you to fill in. And it goes like this. Here's the question that John asked that day that just kind of laser beamed me that's in my wallet to this day. The question goes like this. Are you living the life you're calling others to live? Are, are you living the life you're, you're calling others to live? So let's talk about this. Remember what Jesus said. He said, go into all the world, share, share the message, uh, baptize people. He says, and then teach them to, key word, to what? Teach them to obey. Let's say it again. Teach them to obey everything I've taught you. All right, so, so our role is to go share the message of Jesus. He's king of the universe. Uh, he offers this, this, uh, this kind of amnesty for all crimes against the king, a whole new life. When they come to obey, we're to teach, come to follow, we're to teach him how to obey. And so the question is, is, are we living the life that we're calling others to follow, to, 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 lead, to, to live? So, so here's, look like this way. Here, here's what I truly believe. That if you are living the life of a growing Christ follower today, like, in other words, you're pursuing God in your life. You're growing. You're changing. You're being transformed. You're honest. You're an authentic person. Uh, you're a person of character. You, you tell the truth. You keep your commitments. You're living a life of moral purity. Uh, you're, you're loving others. Uh, uh, that if, if you are living that life, you're making a difference in the world, that, that here's the thing. If you're passionate about Jesus, it doesn't really matter what you say. That as long as it's honest and sincere, it will almost for sure have a significant impact. And on the other side, if you're not living the life you're calling others to live, it doesn't matter what you say or how well you say it. Chances are it will not have an impact. Or catch this, it will have a negative impact because Jesus suddenly gets associated with you. 
And if that's what Jesus does with a life, if you're an example, then I think I'm looking somewhere else for the answers to life. Are you with me? And so the most important, so, so we'll talk about all the other stuff in this series, but the most important question we could ever ask as a church is, are you living the life you're calling others to live? So let's talk about that. So today we're just gonna run through, and to get at this, I put there on your note sheet a section called the assignment, are you living the life? And, and, and I, what I'm gonna do is just kind of throw out five words, okay? These are five words, could be more, right? But just because of time, uh, I'm gonna limit it to five. There's kind of five words uh, that I think would be five marks, if you will, of a person who is living the life uh, that we're calling others to live. Not, not perfectly, but we're living the life we're calling others to live. So I want you to just do a little check as we go through and say, how are you doing? Now, here's the thing. As followers of Jesus, Jesus can transform us, right? So, so, so if there's any of these areas you feel like, hey, I'm not really measuring up there, good news is it's not about you, it's about Jesus, and it's about your ability to surrender to his leadership. And so if you want to have these five marks, you can have them. It's just really an issue of surrender, right? So here we go. So number one, the first word that came to my mind as I was putting together this, this series was, or this message was transformation, Transformation. Now, now, this is a word that we talk about a lot here at Rocky Peak. In fact, this last series that we did in 2 Corinthians, we just finished, one of the sub-series in that series was called The Power to Change. And if you were here during that series, one, one of the big picture lessons we learned is that the moment that we come to Jesus, uh, that he enters into our life, that we receive the gift not only of forgiveness of sins, but we receive the gift of his Holy Spirit who comes to live inside to lead, to guide, to change, and to empower us to, to live a whole new life. And so the moment that we come to Jesus, we enter into a transformation process. And so what we learned in that last series is that this, 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 this process, though, is not automatic. That if we're going to be transformed, if we're going to become like Christ, that we need to learn to listen and to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. So for example, Key verse of the last series, there in your note sheet, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, we, talking about Christ followers, <clears throat> we are being transformed. Catch that, something happening to us, we are being transformed, we're being changed. Remember Greek word metamorpho, we get the word metamorphosis, you know, uh, tadpole to, uh, bu to <laughs> butterfly, tadpole to, <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that would be a major metamorphosis. Uh, yeah, right. That, that'd be like evolutionary uh, metamorphosis. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, we're gonna have, have a table of frog, right? So you get that uh, cocoon to, to butterfly. Uh, anyway, you know, caterpillar to butterfly. Okay, so I'm not so good at biology. All right, uh, establish that well. But you you get the idea uh, of change, right? So so that's the word here, metamorpho. So so we're being transformed. It's something that's happening. It's ongoing. Uh, we're into his likeness, we're being changed to be like Jesus, that's the goal, with ever-increasing glory. So catch this, all this continuous stream here. It's we're being transformed, uh, ever-increasing glory. And he says this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is the general contractor on the site of our life. It's his job to transform us. But our job is to listen and to follow. And as he points out areas of change, to surrender, yes, Lord, I get that. Let you do your work in my life. Show me what to do. I'll, I'll follow, right? And so so here's what I'm saying, is that when you're in a process of transformation, when you're going through, when, when others can see you changing, it's a very attractive, uh, 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 very attractive characteristic that draws other people to you. Because the reality is people out there in our world today, they're looking for power, right? We're looking for power to change. This is why if you go into like a, a major bookstore like the old Borders or, or uh, if you go to Barnes & Noble, one of the largest sections, sometimes the largest section in the whole nonfiction section is on self-help. And the reason is we need help. We, we recognize this. And so you go in, there's how to not to be codependent or uh, how to be assertive or how to get over your addictions or how to deal with your anger, how to put your marriage together, how to raise healthy kids. And so as a culture, we're, we're hungry. We are looking for the power to change. And when you find someone that's found a way to make life work, that they're not perfect at all, but their marriage is getting stronger. They're, they're, they're growing in their character. They're, they're being changed. You're seeing growth and transformation, there's something positive about that that gets drawn to that person. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, last uh, summer, when we uh, had some people to our, our, our house for a, a special dessert, and, uh, and at this, uh, after the dessert, I was talking to one young man who is in his very young 20s, 
And he had recently come to Christ, and he was sharing a story of, of how he'd come to Christ. And so what had happened, his life was going very hard. Uh, he, he had a, a, a young son uh, that was kind of out of uh, wedlock. I think there was some drug usage in his life. There's just a lot of things going on, and, and just life was not working out. So one day he's at a local, I think it's Target if it was, and he sees a, 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 one of his friends from high school, a girl from high school, happens to be a believer, right? He hasn't seen her in years. And so they get talking about what's going on in their life, and she invites him here to, to come to our college ministry. And, and so he comes, and he's just blown away by, by the love of the people, by, by the teaching, by the, the, the video they were showing that night of someone who'd come to Christ, kind of a skater background or whatever. And so he, he, he gets this, and so within a short time, he gives his life to Christ. And so it's just a perfect, perfect illustration of what we're going to be talking about uh, later in this series. I like to call it Invest and Invite. She just simply heard the story, hey, why don't you come and see? And so God met him in a powerful way. And so now, uh, so, so when I'm talking to him, this is back in like June or July, it's like he's only, he's only been a believer for like four months, but his life has radically changed. And so he, he's talking to me, he says, you know, the people at work, he says, I don't, they're not sure really what to do with me. He's like, my life has changed. But he said, one of my friends came up and she asked me, she says, what has happened to you? You're like a different person. And then this is the part I love. She said, when you used to talk to people, you never looked them in the eye. She said, there's something about you. There's a peace about you and a confidence. Now when you talk to people, you look them in the eye. Now, do you see that? That is beautiful life transformation. That has changed from the inside. And here's the thing. When we're growing, when we're changing, uh, there is something powerful about that that gives impact to our words. Because one of the questions he was asking me last night is, what should I have said to her when she was asking me, what's the change? And so we talk about that. And, and the only answer really is Jesus. It's the only answer. And when you see positive change tied to Jesus, then all of a sudden it's like, well, maybe everything I believe about Jesus is wrong. Tell me more, or maybe I'm willing to come, come and see. But on the other side, if our lives aren't changing, if our lives aren't being transformed, if we're not living out a life of character, if these things aren't happening, guess what? It has the opposite impact, right? It's not like a, just you, know, you don't get the positive. No, it becomes a negative. Because now it's like, well, you're a follower of Jesus and he's obviously making no difference in your life. So, so why would I want to investigate him as the answer to my life, you see? And so, so the question is, uh, today, like, are you changing? Somebody I often ask here, I, somebody I often say is, if you're following Jesus, you should not be the same now as you were a year ago. And you should be significantly different than five years ago. And if that's not happening, then somehow... Uh, you're not plugging in, listening, and following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And so, so it's not to put you down at all. It's just to say, hey, it's just like it's a little diagnostic on the, on the dashboard of your life and saying, am I changing? If I'm healthy, because we just read this in 2 Corinthians, right, that, that we have the Holy Spirit. We're, we're being transformed, ever-increasing glory. And so that's like a dashboard, like a, a put on the dashboard of your life. Are you changing? Are, are you growing? But here's the thing. We will never have a powerful impact for Christ if if we're not a demonstration of his power in our life. Because the kingdom of God is not words, it's power, okay? Second, second question is, or second word uh, uh, on, on this uh, is, <clears throat> the second word is authenticity. I, I think one of the things that people are looking for uh, in, in the world today uh, is people who are honest and real and genuine. We, we, we live in a culture today, it's very fake, it's very much about image, and what it's done is created a huge hunger for us in our culture. I, I need to know someone I can trust. I need to know someone who's telling the truth, someone I could rely on. And, and so, uh, as followers of Jesus, we should be that, those people, right? There's no reason for us not to be authentic because we are people who live in a space called grace, and when you live in a space called grace and you know you're deeply loved, there, there's a freedom there to be honest and transparent be, because your worth and, and your value and your love is not dependent on, on what, you, what you do. You're, you're in a place of, of, of grace. And so as believers, we should be the most authentic people in the world. But often, I think we, we're, we're the opposite of this. Often, if you, if you ask like non-believers, what do you think of, of Christians, one of the first words that would come to their mind would be what? Hypocritical, right, which is the opposite of authentic. 
And, and so, the, and the reason, there's several reasons for that, but I think one of the reasons for that is that sometimes as Christ followers, we feel like in order to represent Jesus well, we have to be perfect. We, we have to have it all together. We can never admit any weakness. We can, we can never admit any doubts or any fears. We can't, we can't admit that we had a fight with our spouse today or that we're not sure what to do with our kids because we're afraid that if we do that, there will be a poor reflection on Jesus, right? So, so this is how I grew up and I was raised. Like as I was growing up with that model of kind of confrontational evangelism that I, I shared last week, that often when I was with my non-Christian friends, uh, I, I would try to have, act as if I had it all together. I would never admit to doubt or fear or depression or discouragement or, or things, you know, or temptation. I didn't have the power to overcome. I, I would never admit to that because I was afraid that if I did that, then it would reflect badly on Jesus. Are, are you with me on this? So, so we often talk about Christian, I've got to have a good witness here. I've got to be a good witness. And so I want to protect my witness. And obviously that, that's appropriate uh, if it's something we shouldn't be doing anyway. <laughs> but but, uh, but, but there's, there's a powerful blend that when you bring together number one and number two on this list. So, so let's talk about this. We've talked about this, this number one being transformation, number two being authenticity. What I'm saying is there's a powerful blend that happens when you bring these two together. So, so let's say that we're in legitimate relationship with a non-believer, right? With their true friendship, which is what we're talking about in this series. They, they, they know you're a coworker, you're a friend, you're a relative, and they're in true relationship. Here's what we want to show them. We, if we're in true relationship, they should be able to see, without us even saying it, how Jesus is transforming our life. They should see the power that's there, but they should also see that we're a work in progress, Right? They, they, they should also see, we don't have it all together. We don't have it all together. There's sometimes, yeah, I have questions. There's sometimes, yeah, I have doubts. There's sometimes uh, that I feel, here's what they are. I had an argument with my, my, uh, my, my wife today. I feel horrible about that. I, I need to call her and make it right. Or so they, they need to see all of our life because when they do that, it, it shows both sides of the reality. It shows what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. Like in our life groups, we have no problem with this, right? Like in our life groups, we can be honest with one another. Would you pray for us in our marriage? We're, we're struggling right now. Would you pray for my teenage son or daughter? Uh, they're going down the wrong path. I'm not sure what to do. Would you pray for me? I'm so frustrated at my job, and I just, I just kind of wish. And so we're very honest and real. Then when we're with non-believers, we feel like we have to whitewash all of that and like push it all under the, and like only, oh, I'm full of joy, I'm full of peace, I'm full of this. And, and guess what? People can smell that, right? It's like, no, you're not. You're a hypocrite. And worse yet, here's what they have the impression is. If the, the person who's a true seeker, they may not be as perceptive. They may give you more grace because they're a true seeker. And so here's what they think. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I have to get all my act together. And I have to keep my act together because the moment I give my life to Christ, it's got to be perfect from that point on. You see, and so what we're doing is that we're, we're putting up a barrier to the gospel, that we're all people in process. And so there should be both sides to this. There should be both sides to this thing. There, there should be the, 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 trans, the, the transformation and the authenticity. In fact, Bill Hybels, in, his, in one of his books on sharing Christ, he, he puts this uh, quote there. He says, inauthenticity uh, among the ranks of those claiming to be Christians can become an almost insurmountable barrier to belief. Okay, so number, number three. Third word. The third word is character. <coughs> now, now, character is kind of one of those boring words in a, in a, in a, in a you know. Uh, it's like you go on a date with someone, well, she's got good character. Okay, well, good. Uh, you know, uh, are you going out again? No, I don't think so. Uh, right, yeah. Uh, so, you know, it can be kind of a boring word, but it's, it's, so, it's such a critical word. Uh, when you study the teaching of Jesus, let's go back to what we talked about at the start today. Jesus said, go into all the world, share the message, baptize people when they come to faith, and they said, and then teach them to obey everything I, I taught you. Okay, let's think through what Jesus taught us. So much of it was about character, wasn't it? It's just like, it's just constantly, you think through this Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, okay, humility, blessed are the merciful, 
right? Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after the right thing. Uh, blessed are those the pure in heart. As he begins to unpack some of these things, he talks about uh, anger issues. He talks about sexual purity. He talks about integrity issues. Uh, Jesus was often saying, as, as you follow me, here's the life that I'm calling you to live. And you could say, this, it's a life of character. You know, here's how to deal with your anger or whatever, okay? So, so, uh, so the question is, uh, as we are following Jesus, are we living out a life of Jesus' character? Are, are we becoming like Christ? There's a great passage in the New Testament. I'd like you to turn there with me. It's in Titus chapter 2. And I, I think this is one of the most profound, uh, profound teachings in all the New Testament on, on really promoting the gospel uh, of Jesus. It, it doesn't have anything to do with presenting the gospel or proclaiming the gospel, but it has anything to do with promoting the gospel. It's extremely profound. So let me set it up. The Apostle Paul uh, was, had partnered with this younger pastor named Titus. They'd gone to the island of Crete, which was a pretty renegade pagan area. They had shared the message of, of Jesus, and, and many people had come to Christ that established many churches around the island. And so now Paul, it's time, it's time for him to leave, and so he leaves Titus there, and his job is to kind of get, get things straightened out, to go to these churches, teach them how to follow Jesus, how to obey everything that he said, and to put some leadership, some healthy leadership, some elders in place at the churches. And so in this context, in chapter 2, Paul's saying, here, this is the kind of thing you need to be teaching your churches, and, and what you're going to catch is all character-based. Now, this particular chapter is going to be about stations in life. So, so, so like if you're, a, if you're a, 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 young, a, a young man, here's how you should be living following Jesus. If you're a younger woman, uh, you're a mom at home, uh, here's how you should be following Jesus. If, if you're an uh, older man, if you're an older woman, if you're a slave, uh, uh, Titus in your own life as a pastor. And so he's kind of laying out, uh, here's what it looks like to follow Jesus, okay? But here's what I want you to catch as we go through three times. He's going to say, the reason we need to be living like this is because of the impact it has on the gospel going forth. And so, so here's we go. So uh, verse 1, he says, you must teach what's in accord with sound doctrine or just right teaching. Uh, teach the older men, so here we go, to be temperate, to be worthy of respect, to be self-controlled, to be sound in faith and in love and in endurance. So catch all the character qualities there, right? Then he says, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders, okay? So, so he says, with the older women, make sure they're not like sitting on gossiping, kind of slandering uh, others, uh, uh, and, and that they're not too much addicted to wine, okay? So <laughs> it's interesting. So like some of you older ladies, and I'm not saying where that begins. I'm not even, I'm not even, uh, honestly, the older I get, the line goes, changes. But, uh, but you know, you, you can decide whether you're an older woman or not. Um, but he says, hey, lay off the booze, um, all right? Uh, but instead, but, but teach what is good. Uh, yeah, don't get toasted at Rocky Peak. Anyway, uh, in, in verse 4, uh, so, so then they can train the younger women how to, to, to love their husbands. So here's if you're a younger woman. Here's what you, you need to be doing. You need to be loving your husbands and children. You need to be self-controlled. You need to be pure. Make sure you're morally pure. You're not having an affair or something like that. To be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands. And so that, but catch this. Here he begins to, to weigh in. He says, this is the way we're to live. Catch this. So that no one will what? malign the word of God. You see what he's saying here? He's saying you need to be living a life of character because, because you bear the name of Jesus now. You're Christ followers now. And so this is the whole movement of Jesus is new. People don't know what it's about. If you're living lives that, that are not like lives of character, people are going to attack the message of Jesus, the, the word of Christ. They're going to attack that because of your life. And you want to make sure that you're not giving them any ground for attacking Jesus via you. That, that's the point. And then he goes on and he says, uh, verse 6, similarly, I encourage you young men to be self-controlled. He says, young man, uh, just be self-controlled. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so um, I don't think he has to fill in the details. Uh, seven, he says, so, and then in everything, now he's talking to Titus. He says, uh, Titus in everything, set them an example by doing what's good. So as a pastor there, as a spiritual leader, and you're teaching, make sure your teaching has integrity, make it sure it's, there's a seriousness about it, there's a soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, here we go, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Uh, so, so if you're, at the, you're, you're working on the job, they have nothing bad to say 
to say. Remember Daniel in the Old Testament? Daniel, the, his enemies are trying to get him in trouble. They said that there's nothing wrong with him. He's so full of integrity. There's nothing wrong. The only th- if we're going to snag this guy, the only way we can do it, it's got to do with, it has to do with his relationship with God. And so they said, yeah, he just, he prays all the time. Let's make that illegal and <laughs> we'll get him that way. So he says, hey, hey, you know, you're on the job. Make sure that you're a Christian. There's nothing that they can snag. There's nothing they can say, oh, those Christians are this way because she slanders in the coffee room. She, she, uh, that, that guy never keeps his commitments. Uh, that, that guy, he's so full of bitterness, he claims to be uh, uh, following Jesus. He walks on people here at the office. Or There's just nothing bad to say. And then he goes on, he says, uh, teach slaves, uh, verse 9. Remember, slaves are a big part of the Roman Empire. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show they can be fully trusted. And here we go. So that in every way... They will make the teaching about God our Savior, what? Attractive. The word in Greek is the Greek word cosmeo. It's where we get our word cosmetics from. Uh, In other words, he says, live life in such a way. Here's a good word for you. Live life in such a way that your life is compelling. Right? Live life in such a way that your life is compelling. There's something about your life, your, your character. Now, now we've talked about we've talked about three things. Talked about transformation. We've talked about uh, being authentic and real. We've talked about character. Uh, and so the question uh, in your life is: Is are you living that out? You know, a few a few uh, this, uh, this summer I read a book. It was, it was an amazing book. Um, I I wouldn't recommend it probably for most. It's kind of a scholarly kind of book. I'm sure that it's it's not uh, it, it's it's um. That's, that's kind of why I liked it. It's, it's, written, it's written by a man named uh, Michael Green. My, Michael Green has written 25, 30 books. He's a very famous guy. He's a, he's a scholar, uh, scholar from Britain. Uh, he's also a pastor. And so there's this kind of cool blend about him. Most of his stuff he writes in a more popular love. This was actually a scholarly book. Like we may have it in the bookstore if, if this kind of thing interests you. But it was, it was called Evangelism in the Early Church. And what it was, it was a scholarly research based on, on the first two or three centuries of the movement of Jesus, and how is it even possible that this movement got started and, and took off? Uh, and so what he does, he goes back and surveys not only the New Testament, but also all the writings of the early church leaders, we call them the early church fathers, to kind of to piece this story together. And so, so here he says, you know, here, here's the deal. You've got a group of, a small group of people that, that are none of them influential leaders. They're not political, they're not religious leaders, they're not wealthy, they have nothing to go on, and they have the most ridiculous message in all of creation, right? Their, their message is, okay, here's my message, glad to meet you. Uh, I'm from uh, Jerusalem area, I'm now in Greece or whatever. Uh, there, there was a guy there, he was a, a Galilean peasant, uh, uh, he was in the backwaters of the Roman Empire. He did all these amazing, miraculous uh, things. Uh, he, he did this uh, great teaching. And then uh, he was arrested by the Roman governor, Pilate. He was, uh, he was, he was, a, he was tried on charges of high treason against the empire. Uh, he was crucified as the lowest and worst criminal uh, uh, the, uh, on, on a Roman cross. And, and, but, you know, actually, he, he was kind of God incognito. Right, yeah, and, and he proved it by by rising from the dead, um, and, and now he's he is the king of the universe, and one day uh, every knee will bow to him. So you might want to get a head start. Okay, that that's the message, right? That's the message. So the question is, how does this movement get started? How does it take over the Roman Empire? Given that's the message and given where, where the, the, the messengers. And so it's just a powerful study of how that happened and what the early movement of Jesus, so the first two, three hundred years, and why they conquered the, the, the Roman world that it was trying to extinguish them. And so uh, what, what he says, and this is a quote earlier in your, in your note sheet that we won't go back to, but he says it wasn't their techniques. It wasn't their, it wasn't their, their door-to-door evangelism. It wasn't their evangelism training. It wasn't their big crusades. It was their passion. It was their determination. It was their conviction. You could not stop them. And, and there in your note sheet, we have a, a quote from this, uh, this, this book by, by, by Michael Green. In fact, let's go jump down to point four to pick up this, this quote. And, and he says, there can be no doubt 
that it was the changed lifestyle of early Christians which made such a deep impact upon classical antiquity. First was the personal transformation in their character, what we just talked about, right? As the Holy Spirit was welcomed into their lives. The church had qualities unparalleled in the ancient world. Nowhere else would you find slaves and masters, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, engaging in table fellowship. So in the ancient world, to share a meal was highly symbolic of friendship and relationship. He said, no place in the ancient world, that's impossible, only in the church of Jesus could that happen. It's the only place you could see that. He said, their love overflowed to outsiders, and in times of plague and disaster, the Christians shared, uh, shown... Um, by, by their uh, service to the communities in which they live. And so times of plague, everyone's dying. The Christians, the only ones staying in town, taking care of the, the sick. He says, nowadays, the lifestyle of Christians is hard to distinguish between those who make so much claim, uh, uh, apart from an hour on Sundays. But in the early days, the quality of their lives was blazingly different. Uh, one of the most attractive features in the best of modern Christianity is the quality of individuals and churches when they flow with the love, the freshness, and the joy of Jesus. He said, our need for wholeness, as psychiatrists all agree, can only be met and sustained by love without strings attached. God loves like that. The early Christians seem to have been so warmed by his love that it bound them together and flowed naturally from them. Certainly today, one of the most effective ways of spreading the gospel is through mission-minded churches, and he's talking about uh, taking the message of Christ to your community, where the qualities of Jesus are conspicuous, obvious, in the personal and community life. You see what he's saying here? What he's saying is, are, are you living the life you're calling others to live? It's not what you say. It's who you are that gives power to what you say. You, you see, our words are like a nail. Our lives are like the hammer, Right? And if you have a big hammer, the size of the nail is not so important. You see, that, that does your life have, have impact? I love what Larry Crabb puts there on your note sheet, if you, uh, back under point number three, where he says, the greatest need in our world today is simply this, godly men and women who possess and display a quality of life that reflects the character of God and that provokes curiosity in others about how they too can know God. So, so in, in your, your life, uh, think through your character, like, like on, on the job. Uh, what, would people, do they want you on their team? Like if you, whatever you, do they want you carrying out their contract? Do they want you, you building their, their home or their construction site? If you're an attorney, do they want you on, like do people look at you and say, that person is an asset to this company? Uh, they, they are hardworking. They have a great attitude. They love other people. They are positive right? Uh, uh, is that the kind of person you are? Are, they living, are you living a life of moral purity? Uh, I, I was talking with a man yesterday. I, I met at Starbucks, and he happens to be a Harley rider, and so we became friends. And, uh, and yeah, we're talking about now a trip to San Francisco. But anyway, uh, we, we we're talking. I, I, I honestly thought at first he was a non-believer, and I, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to connect it and maybe build a relationship because he, he runs with a certain kind of gang thing, writers, you know, and, and I, I'm thinking, hey, this is my in. This is my in into uh, a great circle of nonbelievers. And so, so we're kind of connecting right there, and, and, and we're having this great conversation. And so uh, then it turns out, as I find out long in the conversation, he's actually a believer. Uh, and he's telling me this story that, that uh, he had taken a road trip to another state with a couple guys that he had just barely uh, known, kind of like I just barely knew him. And, uh, and, and they claim to be believers, right? And so on, on the way, then once they get on the trip, uh, they, they, they want to stop uh, in Arizona at this resort, and, and they, they, they want to you know, go out kind of bar hopping and then picking up on some, uh, some high-end prostitutes, right? And, and so, uh, you know, all of a sudden that changed the dimension of their trip, right? So um, the point is, is that, like, are you living a life of moral purity? You claim to be a Christ follower. Are you living a life of moral purity, sexual purity? Is that, that part of your life? Are you a person of integrity? Is there, is there compassion there, right? Is there, you see what I'm saying? Are you dependable? Are your finances in order? Um, and then when often we just something as simple as that. You claim to be a follower of Jesus, but your finances are totally out of whack, right? You're deep in debt. 
and you're just creating conflict. Others around you sense that. And again, it doesn't make God look good, right? It's like this is what God does with a life. And so uh, that's why we offer one of our essentials here on, on kind of financial freedom because, because we want to help that we just want to advance not only your life but the kingdom. And so, and so are you living a life of character? Because if you're not, then, then instead of becoming a positive witness for Jesus, it actually becomes a, a negative witness that puts up a barrier there, right? Number four, the, the fourth mark of someone who's living the life is, is the characteristic of love. And, and this is, in one sense, the most important. In fact, what, remember what Jesus said? He said there's two top priorities that God has for our life. The first is we're going to love God. And we're going to love him passionately, all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Second one, we're going to love people as, as he's loved us. He said, uh, said, everything else is just a footnote to those two things. Okay, it's all about love, right? And, and so then you remember what Jesus said the last night. He's with his men. He's about to be arrested. He says, I'm turning the movement over to you. I've got a new commandment. This is to be your marching orders for the movement. And what was all about love? Look there on your note sheet, John 13. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so he sets the bar, you must love one another. And by this, all men will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another, right? So, so what he says is, that this is going to be your calling card as a Christ follower. This is your certificate of authenticity. This is, this is your badge that's like you're a true believer. It is the way you love one another. And there's something about love. We saw in the last quote when the, uh, of that long quote, we saw there's something about love that breaks down barriers. Like if, if people truly know that we, we love God, we love others, we're living a life and we love them, it, it just breaks down barriers. Uh, on the flip side, as we're sharing Christ with people, if, if, we, if they don't see us as a person who truly loves and cares about others, like if we are self-absorbed, uh, if we don't care about them, and worse yet, in Christian circles, Often we have been so taught that we need to share Christ, but we're sharing Christ, but we don't really care about the person. Like, we, we're just sharing Christ. Like, here, here's the mentality. I'm going to share Christ and love you, but if you say no to Jesus, I'm moving on because I don't really care about you. I just care about this process. Can I tell you something? People need to know that we love them whether they ever come to Jesus or not. Like, we, we love them because it's who we are, Right? Uh, you, you may be an atheist to the point you die. It's not going to stop me from loving you. Like, you may hate Christian. It's not going to stop me from loving you. That, that my love for you is not dependent on your response to the message. My, my love to you is based on what God's done in my heart, and it's based on the commission he's given to love everyone in radical ways. Uh, I love what, the way Donald Miller puts it in his book, Blue Like Jazz. There, there on your note, this is under point four. In the middle, of the, the middle, on the back, back page. <laughs> this is nice, right? Like, this is like a tour guide through the note sheet. Yeah, we're not really on point three. Let's go to four. Now, let's come back to three. Go to the back. Okay. Uh, but this is a powerful quote. That's what he says. He says, nobody will listen to you unless they sense that you like them. C- can you underline that? nobody will listen to you if they, you don't like them. Like you're trying to share Jesus from, you don't like them. You, you don't like them at all, right? But it's like, what am I supposed to do? I got to tell them about Jesus. <laughs> okay, get the belt out. I need a notch in my belt, right? And I, now if you come to Jesus, now I'll like you. But uh, he says, no one will listen to you unless you sense that they, they sense you like them. If a person senses you don't like them, that you don't approve of their existence, then your religion and your political ideas will seem wrong to them. But if they sense that you like them, they'll be open to what you have to say. Can I tell you something? In this world today, we, we live in a very a culture that's incredibly skeptical about Christianity. Am, am, I, is, am I right? right like, like very increasingly, it's anti-Christian culture, increasingly, for, for a whole variety of reasons. But I think the primary reason it's so anti is that we haven't loved people well. We've given so much ammunition to the enemy. It's like, just pick a bullet. Like, we've got, we just like, you know, we just like, here, here, just here's, here's that, you know. But when you love people well, it breaks down those barriers. 
Uh, this, I truly believe this. In our culture today, one of the most powerful apologetics that we have, when we talk about apologetics, I'm talking about defending the faith. It's not our words, it's our lives. And like Jesus said, it's, it's not our words, it's our works. Remember he said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good what? Your works and glorify your Father. I believe this in our culture today, it is, is as, 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 as non-believers look and they watch and they hear stories of your life group loving on one another, right? As they hear stories of an initiative to the poor, of raising money for for uh, uh, Ethiopia, for water wells. As they hear uh, a, a church uh, doing initiative for the, for the, the homeless or serving at uh, the uh, Hope of the Valley, as they see us being involved increasingly in the community, this is what breaks down barriers. Because they, they say, finally, some people that actually are acting a little bit like Jesus, right? And it breaks down barriers. I, I love the way that uh, uh, Heibels and Middleburg put it in their book, uh, Becoming a Contagious Christian, there in your note sheet. This is one of the primary reasons that God calls his followers to be extraordinarily caring people is because acts of mercy open up people's hearts like nothing else can do. Put another way, there's a tremendous pulling power in the expression of even a single act of kindness. And God wants that power to draw people to the reality of his son. Whether the problem is with the organization or an individual, uncaring Christianity does not attract inquirers into its fold. But a clear and consistent demonstration of Christ-like love is a powerful magnet that pulls people toward him. And so... so are we living the life we're calling others to live? Jesus said the life of Christ was love God, love people. Are we living that life, right? Now, number five, the, 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 fifth, the fifth one's one of my favorite, and it's, uh, it goes like this, passion. The word is passion. And, and, and when I talk about passion, I need to be real clear here because we use this term a lot. And from time to time here at Rocky Peak, I, I want to clarify what we're talking about. Like here at Rocky Peak, we have a vision, right? It's to unleash a movement of what? Right, passionate, it's right in our vision statement. My big fear is that when we use that word sometimes, that, that people, when they hear that, that the image that comes to their mind is a group of raging extroverts, right? Uh, like, everyone is, woo! You know, uh, and that's not at all what we're talking about because the reality is passion shows up in different ways in different people. Like, we're all passionate about something, but, but like for some of you, uh, you're, you're very passionate, you're very extroverted. If I'm around you for like three minutes, I'm going to know your passions, right? There's other, very quiet, very introverted. You're going to be very slow to share that uh, with me until we've, we've really developed a relationship. There's some trust there, and then I'm going to find out. But here's the point. We all have our passions. We all have those things in our life that matter to us more than anything else. Like if I were to ask you, why is life worth living, what would you say? You tell me the answer, that's your passion right? And so, so, fun, so for some people, it's shopping. For some people, it's new cars. For some people, it's getting high. For some people, it's, it's a, a sexual encounters. For some people, it's their, their, their career. It's succeeding in their career. For some, it's an education. For some, it's in kind of good works, changing the world. For some, it's their kids. For some, it's their, their sports. For some, it's their video games. Like we could go on and on, but what is it in your life that's most important, that makes life worth living, that you look forward to the most, that really drives you? That is your passion, and here's what I'm saying, is that when you find a person who their deepest passion in life is truly knowing Christ, pleasing Christ, being used by Christ, it impacts you. And the reason is very simple, is that we're all going through life looking for meaning. We're all looking for purpose. We're all looking for something that makes life worth living. And so when you find someone that is passionate about something, it's intriguing. It's what, the question that runs through your mind, whether you know it or not, is what is it about what this thing that is so compelling that has captivated your heart? Like what is it about cooking and being a great chef that's like, I don't get that, but why is why is you are so tell me about why you like to cook because I don't get I just like to eat it and I like to have I like to have plenty of it I care about the price and the quantity and the quality I don't care about how you make it but you are passionate you watch food shows like 
all the food shows, you know, diners and dives, or just like all of the, you know, you watch them all, you've got them all, just like they're all out there, the food channel is like locking up your computer, you're like calling AT&T, can I get more than four at one time if you're recording, because I've got like 18 food shows on celery sticks that I need to understand how to turn those into a gourmet dish and become, you know, chef of the world, and so uh, I may not even get that, right? But I'm guaranteeing you, I am guaranteeing, if I'm in a life group with you, that as time goes on, I am going to get more and more interested in, in cooking just by hanging out with you because you're so passionate about, about you know? It's like, like how, does, how, do, how do people buy motorcycles? By hanging out with people who ride motorcycles, right? It's like, hey, hang out, and it's like, well, let me know. That looks kind of interesting. I never really got that, but this is just the way life works. You, when you find someone who's passionate, you're drawn, like, does anyone here like hanging out with a bored person, right? Wow, that person looks really bored. I'd want to hang out with them. Wow, that would be awesome. We could just be bored together, because I'm bored, and they're bored. We could go out. We could be bored in all kinds of places together, <laughs> right? Maybe we could get other bored people, and we just hang out and just create friends of bored. Like, no. Like, if you're bored, you're drawn towards someone of passion. And this is because as human beings catch this, we were created to run on passion. Passion is the emotional fuel of a human soul. And when you don't have passion, there is a hunger in your life for something to run on. And you're looking for people, someone who's got passion, you can steal, you can siphon off their tank to, 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 so you can run your life. And when you find a Christ follower who is passionate about Jesus, and I'm not talking weird, just make sure. I'm not, talk, I'm not talking John 3.16 today, the back of the football stadium. I'm not talking, you know, hair crazy, you know, repent, turn or burn. I'm not talking <laughs> about that, Right? I'm talking about a person that is a normal person, but is passionate about Jesus and growth and what God's calling them to do. And are you with me? When you find a person like that, you are drawn to a person, or if you're in deep darkness, you're repelled. But that kind of person is going to force you to move one way or another. You know, in this book, Evangelism in the Early Church, I I love this quote. It's the last one we'll, we'll use today. But he says, uh, one of the most notable impressions the literature of the first and second century, remember he did the research, made upon me as I wrote this book was the sheer passion of these early Christians. They were passionately convinced of the truth of the gospel. They were persuaded that men and women were, were lost without it. It was the key to eternal life without which they would perish. They shared in God's own love and they poured it out on a needy world. They paid heed to Christ's great commission, the Matthew 28 passage. They sought to interpenetrate society with a gospel that had so profound an effect on them. Christianity for them was no hour's slot on a Sunday. It affected everything they did and everything they met. And catch this, you could mow these Christians down, you could throw them to the lions, you could not make them deny their Lord or hate their persecutors. Isn't that powerful? That they were passionate. Um, and so, so the question is, what, what's your passion meter? Look at the dashboard of your life. What, what's the passion meter? Has uh, 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 Christ captured your affections? Are you excited about what you're learning? Are you excited about what he's doing? Are you excited about what he's showing you? Are you excited about you? Is that who you are? Or, or honestly, no, you're, you're kind of bored. You're, as a Christian, you're bored. Because remember, if you're a bored Christian, it is very difficult to sell Jesus. Because basically you're saying, hey, let me introduce you to the king of creation, the creator of the world, the one who died for you and loves you, has the power to change your life, who is the secret of life itself, who came to give you life and life to the full. And by the way, I'm bored with him. Would you like to sign up? Like, are you kidding me? It's like, no, thank you. I will look for someone else who's truly found an answer to life, right? Here's the good news. None of the stuff we're talking about today depends on us. Like, like it is impossible for you, and it's impossible 
for us to transform ourselves. It's impossible to change our character to be like Jesus. It's impossible to fill our life with love, and it's impossible to create passion for God. Those are impossible. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. But this is what the Holy Spirit will do, will do if we're willing to surrender to his leadership. You see, Jesus would never ask us to do for ourselves what only he can do for us. But catch this, Jesus will never do for you what only you can do for yourself. And only you can decide whether you will surrender to the leadership of Jesus and say, okay, I want to be that person. God, here's these, I look at my list. Here's the areas I'm really, I'm, I'm struggling. And so I'm going to surrender my life. Would you come and change me? I will, I will listen. I will follow. Like only you can make that decision. But the good news, if you will make that decision, he can transform you. He can change you and not only fulfill your life, but that then you will be a light for him to others. Does that make sense? So as we go in this series, it's really tempting to jump in. Let's talk about how to build relationships with non-believers, how to uh, answer their questions, what to say, uh, uh, how to say it, when to say it, how much to say, to whom to say it. Those are all important questions. We will get to them in time. But the most important question, without which this series doesn't even make sense, is very simple. It's are you living the life you're calling others to live? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. And God, we, uh, we're just so aware that we cannot change ourselves. We're, we're sort of helpless without you. We can't transform ourselves. There's no book. There's no willpower. There's nothing that we can do. But God, what we can do is be available. And so, so we just want to come as a church. We want to bow. And it's, it feels like kind of repentance is becoming a way of life here. But last week we talked about just kind of repenting of our lack of, of passion for the lost. God, today we just, we just come and we say, I'm, I'm sure there's many of us here that are just doing just really well on all, all five scales. They're surrendered to you. And, and these, these marks are just growing in their life. And they're just doing great. And just we're so thankful for that. But I'm sure in a church like this, there's, there's many of us here that really are not. That if we're just honest, we're not living the life we're calling others to live. And, and it would be really uh, hypocritical and, and just really uh, uh, inauthentic to begin to invite others to join us in this journey when we're not on the journey. And so, God, we just want to confess that today, and we want to come and ask you to forgive us for not living the life you've called us to live, and we just ask you, invite you by your spirit to come in and teach us how to do this uh, and, and to change us from the inside out. And if we, our, our commitment, our promise, if you will lead, we will follow. We surrender to you today. And so, God, we pray that, that as we go in this time of worship, you would truly just set a fire inside our soul, one that is a passion for you we cannot control. We pray that our love would truly become a fire that would move out and touch other lives. We pray that as we bring our offerings and our gifts, you would use them to transform this place to be a city on a hill, the base camp for a movement that you're unleashing to the valleys in the world that you've called us to serve. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I hope you can uh, join us next week as we continue this series. Next week, we're going to be moving to move in and talk about the importance of developing authentic, intentional relationships with, with those who, who don't know Christ, whether it's uh, uh, someone on, on your, your kid's soccer team, maybe, maybe it's a, uh, a co-worker, maybe it's a, a relative, it's a neighbor across the street, but, but we're going we're gonna to talk about this principle with, with no contact. Uh, comes no impact. And, and so you have to have contact that's significant in order to truly have impact. And so we're going to talk about that. What, is, what does that look like to be able, uh, build intentional, uh, authentic relationships, uh, true friendships? As Jesus will study his model next week, Jesus was called the friend of sinners. The question is, are you a friend of sinners? Uh, and do you have any friends who are sinners? Like, are all your, all your friends Christ followers? Uh, it's often the case in our life. And so uh, we're just going to be exploring that together. It'll be a great time. Also, just want to call your attention that on the back of our program every week during this whole series, that we have a special section called the assignments. So every week, the reading that we're doing as a church, whether in a life group or just reading on your own, in the book, The Best Kept Secret, uh, every week, the reading assignments there for the week. Uh, we've got a uh, all-church uh, kind of uh, 24 hours of prayer and then encounter event coming up in a couple weeks. We're going to be uh, uh, canceling our life groups that week so we can all come as life groups to one place to seek God. Good, uh, amazing night. Uh, so you want to make sure kind of get, getting that on your calendar. Uh, uh, what else? We've got baptisms coming up uh, uh, later on, uh, kind of the seventh week of the series. 
And so just a lot of things happening. So be watching that every week. Make sure you get those dates on your calendar, okay? Until then, may your life be be an expression of obedience to our true king. Uh, May you be learning to carry out everything that Jesus has taught us. May you truly be living the life that we're calling others to live so that they in turn may come and join us and live the life that Christ has called them to live. Amen? Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. I love you. I'll see you next week. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.